We just celebrated the uh, holidays of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We just fasted and we cleanse ourselves from our sins. We now move on to a more joyous festival, the holiday of Sukkot. Our rabbis tell us that what you cannot accomplish Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur with tears, you can accomplish on Sukkot with joy. The holiday of Sukkot is primarily is comprised from two basic mitzvos. One is to dwell in the sukkah for seven days, and the other is to take the four species and make a blessing over them for seven days. So we're going to start with the lulav. This is the first of the uh, four species. We make a bracha on the tilas lulav. And if you look in Leviticus 2340, it says, It says, You shall take for yourself on the first day of Sukkot the fruit of the Hadar tree. This represents the Esrig. Okay? And then it says, Date palm fronds which is the lulav, a branch of a braided tree, which is the hadasim, three hadasim, and then the willows of the brook, which are the aravus. So these are the four species. Now, when it comes to the lulav, the Torah calls the lulav pri the tree or the fruit of kapois timorim, which means date palm fronds. Now the word kapois in the Torah is spelled with the letter kaf and then a pei and then a saf. Three letters. Now, our rabbis tell us that the reason it's spelled kaf pei saf and it's missing the letter vav in kapois says Rashi to teach us that it's only one lulav not more than one when it comes to the hadasim we said we take three when it comes to the aravis we say we take two however when it comes to the lulav we only take one Says Rashi, therefore the Torah omits the vav of kapois to imply that we're dealing with the singular, which is only one lulav. Now, the Altareb in Shulchan Aruch tells us another reason of why it's called kapois. In the chapter 645, in the Code of Jewish Law, halacha number 3, now, the Rebbe says that being that there are no nekudos in the Torah, there are no vowels in the Torah, so therefore we can read a word the way we want to. Instead of reading the word kapois, which means fronds or leaves, we read the word kofos. Kofos means bound. 
And this implies that the halacha is, when it comes to a lulav, that even though the lulav is made up of a bunch of leaves, if the leaves become hard because they become dried out and you cannot bound them together, it's not kosher. So by using the word kapois, which is really kafus, the Torah is implying what is a kosher lulav, only a lulav that the leaves can be bound together. But if the leaves are coming out, the fronds are coming out, it's not a kosher lulav. So that's perhaps another reason why the word kapois is missing the letter vav, so that we read it as kafus, which means bound. Now there's a deeper answer, which is based on the Medrish and the teachings of Chesedus. We are told that the four different species represent four different types of juice. The esrig has a smell and a taste. A good smell represents good deeds. When you do a good deed for somebody else, you give a good fragrance. He benefits from you. The esrig also has a good taste. A good taste represents Torah knowledge. One who is replete with Torah knowledge, he himself is very tasty. Then you have... What is that, a fruit, that first thing? The, the esrig is called the citron. It's a fruit. Then you have the lulav. The lulav is from the date palm. Kapois to modern. Now, the date has a very good taste, but it has no smell. So therefore the lulav represents one who has Torah knowledge, but he's not known for his good deeds. Then you have the hadas, which has a good smell, representing one who does good deeds. And by the way, the Rebbe himself used to use 36 hadasim in the lulav. And one year he said to us that we should also increase in hadasim more than three. You're not allowed to have less than three, but halakhically you could do more than three. Hadasim. Myrtle. And the idea is that every Jew has the ability and the obligation to increase in acts of goodness and kindness. And then we have the willow, which is called the arava, which has neither smell nor taste. This represents a Jew that is not known for either his Torah knowledge or his good deeds. And comes the holiday of Sukkis, and we unite all these Jews together to aguda achas, to one bounded lulav, to show that we are all one under God. And when God sees that the Jewish people are united as one, then God becomes our king, and then he blesses us with everything that we need. Now the Rebbe asks a very simple question. He says, if the lulav is kapois tumorim, if the lulav represents the fronds of a date palm, and a date has a good smell, a good taste. So then we should use dates. Why do we use the lulav, which is only the leaves that protect the dates? Why don't we use the dates itself? 
This is the question the Rebbe asks. We should use the date, not the palm of the date. If the idea of the date palm represents one that has Torah knowledge, and the Torah knowledge is in taste, then we should use the date which has the taste, not the palm, which is only the leaves or the fronds of the date. So the Rebbe goes on to explain that ki adam man is compared to a tree in the field. And just like a tree continues to grow every year, so too man must continue to grow every year in Torah and Mitzvahs. But the ultimate perfection of the tree is when the tree produces fruit. Fruit represents knowledge. That's fruit. What does the leaf represent? The leaves represent that which protects the knowledge. It protects the fruit. This is the concept of shakla vitariya. This represents the dialogue in the Talmud. Questions and answers. Analyzation of the mitzvah. Once you analyze, once you have dialogue, once you have discussion, then you come to the maskana, then you come to the ultimate halacha, the law. You come to the bottom line. And you have a clear, crisp conclusion of what the mitzvah is. When you have that conclusion, when you have that resolve, when you have that answer, that is the fruit. That brings about the true tanug, that brings about the true pleasure. When you have question, when you have doubt, there's no pleasure. It's the opposite of pleasure. When you have true pleasure, when you know for sure this is the right thing. So the fruit not only represents wisdom, but it represents specifically the conclusion of the wisdom. The conclusion of the question. Says the Rebbe, that is why we specifically take the palm, the lulav, and not the date. Why? Because these four species all represent humility. Starting with the esrik, which is an acronym for Al-Tavi'eni Lidegel Gaiva. Do not bring me to the feet of arrogance. Because one who is so perfect, a perfect esrik, that has both, number one, a good smell and a good taste, representing a perfect person that has both knowledge and good deeds, sometimes this could lead to arrogance. So the word esrik itself reminds us, don't be arrogant. And the same is true with Torah knowledge. The lulav, which is the tallest of all of the four species, represents one that shines in his Torah knowledge in the community. It could be a big rabbi or big Rosh Hashiva. Sometimes, if you have a lot of Torah knowledge, this makes a person arrogant. Therefore, the Torah says, don't take the actual date, which represents the conclusion of the law, which represents the true tanug, the true joy, but rather... Make yourself like a lulav, like a leaf. One who is beginning his process in learning. One that does not have a clear, lucid conclusion. One who still has confusion. Because when you still have this uncertainty, you have humility. The moment you have this clarity, that brings about the arrogance. And therefore, in order for all four species to unite together, each one has to be humble. 
if the lulav thinks it's so brilliant and so great, there's no way for the lulav to connect with the other three species. So we don't take the actual date, which could bring one to gava, that can bring one to arrogance. We specifically use the leaves, which protect the fruit, which represents one who is starting to analyze the law. And therefore, this will bring a person to humility. In other words, no matter how much Torah you know, God is infinite. And the Torah is infinite. And therefore, even though you know so much, there's so much more to know. And therefore, you must always be humble in your knowledge of Torah. So now says the Rebbe, that is why we read it kafos. Kafos means bound. That one who takes the lulav becomes bound to God. How can one become bound to God? Only if he's humble. If a person is arrogant, there's no way for that person to be bound to God. For God says, One who is arrogant, I and that arrogant person cannot live in this world together. The world ain't big enough for the both of us. So the lulav is all about humility. And therefore the Torah specifically calls it kapois tomarim. And it's missing the letter vav. So we read it kafos. And therefore this implies one who is truly bound to God. And perhaps we can say that this is also hinted in the interpretation of Rashi. We said Rashi told us that why is Kapois missing the letter Vav? Says Rashi, Chosr Vav, to teach us, She'ena Ella Achas, to teach us that it's only one Lulav, not more than one. Perhaps Rashi is hinting to us. That why is it missing the Vav to teach us that that the purpose of the Lulav is that you should become one with God. So this is the concept of the missing Vav in the word Kapois pertaining to the four species. The second mitzvah of Sukkis is to sit in the Sukkah and to dwell in the Sukkah for seven days. And here the Torah tells us in Leviticus chapter 23, verse number 42. For a seven-day period, you shall live in booths. Every resident among the Israelites shall live in booths. Now the word basukos, the sukkah is mentioned twice in this verse. However, both times it is missing the letter Vav. The next verse, verse 2343, chapter 23, verse 43, it says, In order that your future generation should know that I had the children of Israel living in booths when I took them out of the land of Israel. Here, the word basukois is mentioned once, but it has the letter vav. So why in the first verse is it missing the letter vav? And why in the second verse does it have the letter vav? 
Another interesting thing. It says in verse number 42, call ha'ezrach b'Yisrael. Every resident among the Israelites shall live in the booths. And Rashi tells us the word b'Yisrael, which means Israelites. Why must the Torah tell us b'Yisrael? to include not only natives, not only Jews that were born Jews, but also converts. The converts also have the obligation to sit in the sukkah. Now, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky mentions that uh, why must the Torah include also converts? Because one might think that being that the converts were not in Egypt, so maybe they don't have the obligation to sit in the booths. Because it says in the next Pasuk, I took them out of the land of Egypt. And converts were not in the land of Egypt. So maybe a convert does not have to sit in the sukkah. Therefore the Torah comes along and says, be Israel, to add that even converts have to sit in the sukkah. However, we find many times the Torah tells us the word ger. Many times in the Torah pertaining to mitzvahs, the Torah specifically also uses the word convert. That this mitzvah is for the Jew and the convert. For example, pertaining to the mitzvah of Passover. It says you shall not have chametz for seven days in your house, you and the convert. Now even though the convert was not in the land of Egypt, yet the Torah says the convert still no has to practice Passover. And therefore he cannot eat chametz the entire holiday. There the Torah uses the word convert. All of a sudden, the Torah is jolliving over here. A jollivit. He's cheap on a word. The Torah doesn't want to add the word ger, convert, and we have to derive it from the word be Yisrael. Why can't the Torah simply say, and the convert? Why must I derive it from the word be Yisrael amongst the Jewish people. We explained a few moments ago that the concept of the four species represents the unity of the Jewish people. In truth, we can say that the sitting in the sukkah is even a greater unity. Because the four species, even though it represents four different types of Jews being united as one, we are simply explicitly distinguishing one Jew from the other. And by the way, we're all one. But we're still making these differences. When it comes to the sukkah, the Talmud says, When it comes to the sukkah, the Talmud says, it is fit and it is proper that all Jews shall sit in one sukkah. It doesn't say from the greatest to the smallest, from the most learned to the most simple. It doesn't make such a statement. When it comes to the sukkah, we are all equal. When it comes to eating, we're all the same. When it comes to Torah knowledge, I know more, you know less. When it comes to good deeds, I know more, or you did more, and, and the other person did less. When it comes to eating in the sukkah, we're all drinking l'chaim, we're all participating in the meal, it's all the same thing. From the smartest to the most simplest, it comes to the sukkah. By sitting in the sukkah, we become totally one. 
the concept of sukkah started when God took us out of the land of Egypt. What did God do for us? He protected us against the heat of the desert and he protected us against the arrows and the spears of the foreign nations. And for 40 years, he protected us with these clouds of glory. Now, these clouds of glory during the day protected us from the sun. At night, they protected us from the cold nights in the deserts. Furthermore, the Torah says that at night, the clouds of glory would wash out our clothing. So when you got up in the morning, your clothing smelled fresh. It was ironed, it was folded, there was a machaya to put on. And I guess if you gained a few pounds that day, so at night, you know, it opened up a little bit. If you lost a few pounds, it went in a little bit. Every day your clothes fit you perfectly. It never wore out. And if there was a hole for some reason, it got sewn up. It was a perfect garment. So the clouds of glory did a lot of things. Also, if the enemy would throw arrows or spears into the clouds, it would turn the arrows and the spears into straw. And therefore, it protected the Jews wherever they went. Furthermore, if there were any mountains, it paved out the mountains. Any snakes and scorpions, it killed the snakes and scorpions. It protected the Jews wherever they went. These were the clouds of glory that protected us for 40 years. Now these clouds were six plus one. In other words, they, they surrounded us on top, on bottom, this side, that side, in front, and in the back. All six directions. In addition to the six clouds that literally surrounded us, there was a seventh cloud in front. And that seventh cloud was the scout. It directed us to turn right, to, to turn left, wherever the cloud went, that's where we followed. At night, that same cloud turned into a pillar of fire to bring warmth to the nation of Israel. Says the Zohar and the Medrash that the clouds of glory were given in the honor of Aaron HaKoyin. We also know that the manna that came down from heaven every day was given in the honor of Moses, and the water that was provided through the bed of Miriam was given in the honor of Moshe Rabbeinu's older sister, the prophetess Miriam. But the clouds particularly were given in the merit of Aaron. Who was Aaron? So Aaron was famous for Oyev Shalom, Veroidev Shalom, Oyev Ezebriyazim Karban Latoira. It says in Ethics of Our Fathers that Aaron Akoyim was known for the fact that he loved peace and he pursued peace. He loved every creature, every individual, and he brought them closer to the Torah. Aaron was known to be uh, a marriage counselor. He would go to the husband and tell the husband how much the wife loves him. And then he would go to the wife and tell her how much the husband loves her. And he would reunite marriages. Furthermore, if a Jew left the fold, he would leave the cloud of Israel, the cloud of glory. Aaron went outside the cloud and he brought him back in. He convinced him to come back in. 
which is interesting because it's paradoxical to the role of the high priest. The high priest had to be all day in the Holy Temple. He had to serve God and represent the Jewish people. Yet he would leave this holy place, take off his eight beautiful garments of gold, and he would go to the outskirts of town and go outside of the cloud, which was dangerous because if anyone would throw these arrows or spears, it would affect the person there. It could damage the person there. And therefore you were putting yourself in danger. Aaron simply put himself in danger to bring back one neshama, one Jew back into the fold. So this was Aaron. He was a person of unity. And because he was a person of unity, now it makes a lot of sense that in his honor, we have the clouds of glory. For these clouds of glory unified all the Jewish people like one entity. Which is the concept of Sukkot. Sukkot now is a reminder how God for 40 years in the desert protected us with these clouds of glory. And therefore we make a sukkah and for an entire week we live in the sukkah. Says the Zohar like this, that these seven clouds of glory represent the seven different attributes, the seven different emotions. The first one is chesed, kindness, and the second one is gavura, severity, and the third one is teferes, which is mercy, etc., etc. But the main one of all seven, says the Zohar, is chesed, kindness, which is the attribute of Aharon, Hakoyin, Aaron, the priest. And therefore, the first attribute represents the first cloud. That was the scout of all the other clouds. And based on this, we can understand these two different verses here in the Torah. In the first verse, it says, You shall dwell in the sukkah for seven days. Every resident amongst the Israelites shall sit in the sukkah. Here, the word sukkos is missing the vav. Why? Because the letter Vav, we know, has the gematria, the numerical computation of the number six, alluding to the six clouds. So when the word Basukos, or Sukkos, mentioned without the Vav, we're talking about the scout cloud. That was the seventh cloud. That was the introduction to the other six clouds. The other six attributes came from the first attribute. The other six clouds came from the first cloud. So first we established that there was the first cloud. That was the attribute of kindness, which was the scout cloud. The scout cloud was during the day and during the night. At night it was a fire, and during the day it was a cloud. So therefore the word basukos is mentioned twice without the vav, implying how this cloud changed from day to night and night to day. Then we go into the second pasuk. And, and then we go on to say, Ki shafti. Here we have the letter Vav in Basukos. The letter Vav equals six. That from this first cloud, now we have the additional six clouds that surrounded the Jewish people and, unite, and united them as one. So this concept of sukkis, which represents unity, 
a greater unity than even the four species. The Torah here does not mention the word convert. Why? Because sukkis is not about distinctions. The sukkah unites. The Torah does not want to say that every Jew, from the native to the convert, has to sit in the sukkah. Because if it says that, it's already making a distinction. Which is the opposite of the objective of sukkah, that we are all one. We don't point out, hey, you Mr. Arava, you Mr. Esrig, you Mr. Lulav, you Mr. Hadas, you're the sinner and you're the learner and you're the, the giver. We don't make that distinction in the sukkah. We're all one. So therefore the Torah does not come along and say in the sukkah you should sit the native and the convert. There's no differences. No differentiation. By Pesach, yes. By Sukkot, no. So we come together now to celebrate the holiday of Sukkot. We have to realize that the objective of Sukkot is not only to construct the sukkah and to sit inside the sukkah and eat in the sukkah and then to make a bracha on the four species. These are all beautiful mitzvahs and it has to be done. But the objective of Sukkot is to truly bind yourself together with another Jew, to connect with another person, and to care about another person, and do for another person. And therefore, if you see that there's somebody who's less fortunate than you, monetarily, or emotionally, or spiritually, or knowledge-wise, our obligation on this holiday is to make that connection with that person, and to fulfill that void and to make them complete. Rabbi uh, Joseph Tolushkin tells a story that his father was an accountant. And one of the accounts that the Rebbe, that, that uh, Rabbi Tolushkin's father dealt with was Chabad Lubavitch. And therefore, whenever there was a question, they would ask him how to deal with it. So Rabbi Tulushkin goes on to say that unfortunately, his father had a stroke. His father was in the hospital. And every day, when his father was in the hospital, Rabbi Yehuda Krinsky, one of the Rebbe's secretaries, would call the hospital and ask how he was doing. And he said that the Rebbe asked me to pick up the phone and call the hospital and to ask specifically how your father is doing. Now you have to realize the Rebbe was a leader of hundreds of thousands of people. And he had an average of 400 letters a day coming into his office. And yet, he was concerned about a Jew who was sitting or lying in the hospital, and every day he made sure to call to find out how he was doing. Finally, his father snaps out of the coma. And then he gets a call from Rabbi Krinsky. He says, the Rebbe has a question to ask him. Yesterday, there was a board meeting in 770, and a question came up. We went to the Rebbe. We asked the Rebbe what to do. The Rebbe said that we should ask Mr. Tulushka, the accountant, what to do. So Rabbi Tulushkin says, does the Rebbe know that my father had a stroke? 
And as the Rebbe know that he just woke up from the coma today, so of course, we were in touch with the hospital every single day. And the Rebbe still wants me to ask my father the question, yes. Okay. So he went over to his father and said, I got a call from the Rebbe. And the Rebbe asked this question, what should they do with the account? And he said, my father was able to answer the question. So he told Rabbi Krinsky the answer, and that was the end of the story. Rabbi Tulushin goes on to say that hindsight is twenty twenty, And he began to reflect on what exactly happened over here. Obviously, there are many other accountants. Obviously, if there was a question, the Rebbe could have asked another accountant, knowing that his father was unfortunately in the hospital and just had a stroke. So why was the Rebbe concerned to ask his father the question? And he realized the Rebbe's sensitivity to another human being, like Aharon Akoyim. The Rebbe realized that this accountant is lying flat on his back. And he feels he can't do anything. He feels helpless and worthless. And here, he gets this major question from this big organization, from Lubavitcher Rebbe, what should we do in this and this situation? Can you imagine how my father felt lying here in the hospital that he's able to give an answer to this big question that they need to know in Crown Heights? This was the sensitivity of the Rebbe. So this is the concept of sukkus, to be sensitive towards the needs of our brothers and sisters and to go beyond our comfort zone to help another person. And by doing so, we will truly receive all the blessings that we prayed for, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which, by the way, is the custom that the Rebbe would always say when he gave the Lulav and the Esrik to different people, he would tell them, you should bring down all of the lights into the vessels. You should be mamshich, the oiris, into the kalim. On Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, we created all the lights. Now, on Sukkot, it's time to bring the lights into the vessels. And we do this by giving a little charity. We do this by inviting someone to eat in our sukkah. We do this by, by being concerned about another person. And when God sees that we care about somebody else... He will be concerned about us also. As we find that God tells Abraham to, to pray for, for Avi Melech. And by doing so, he will be blessed with a child first. So when you pray for another person's needs, either for a shidduch or for children or for monetary purposes, so God will answer you first. We hope and pray that very soon we will see the ultimate sukkah that will unite all the Jewish people together. As we know that the Second Holy Temple was destroyed because of sinas chinam, unwarranted hatred. And by the fact that we have unlimited love, unconditional love, this will bring about the rebuilding of the Third Holy Temple, and so shall it be speedily in our days.